Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Ream Library and the uh, McFarland Center for Religion, Ethics, and Culture. My name is Tom Landy. I direct the center. We sponsor uh, programs across the semesters that answer questions about meaning, morality, and mutual obligation. Uh, we're, one of the things that we've done this year, uh, we've, we've done it every year, in fact, is try to have some bit of a series that gives uh, some coherent look at a certain kind of uh, important social issue of the time. And the one that we're doing across this year uh, is to try to examine issues that affect women's well-being around the world in different ways than people might expect. Uh, I'm really pleased today that we're going to welcome uh, one of our guests who's going to talk about the situation of uh, domestic workers and the abuse. But fortunately for me, I have Professor Melissa Weiner, who is, is a friend of our speaker, uh, Rebecca Pavone, who is going to introduce her. So I will introduce Melissa, who's Assistant Professor of Sociology. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for the introduction, and thank you all for coming. And I'd like to also thank the McFarland Center for Religion, Ethics, and Culture for inviting Rebecca Pabon to speak to Holy Cross today. Rebecca is originally from Puerto Rico and has spent the last three years living and working in the Netherlands with FNV Bonjonota, organizing cleaners and domestic workers. Recently, Rebecca contributed to the organizing efforts of the longest labor strike in the Netherlands since 1933, which lasted over four months and resulted in members of this critical part of the economic system gaining access to pensions, sick day, paid sick days, vacation, and an increase in salary. Beginning, before beginning her work with organizing in the Netherlands, Rebecca earned her bachelor's degree in labor relations from the University of Puerto Rico and a master's degree in labor policies and globalization from the University of Kassel in Germany. Today, Rebecca is going to be discussing how domestic workers, a female-dominated labor sector, organized to win domestic rights. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rebecca Pallone. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me, all of you? Thanks to the work of the technicians here, great guys. Um, well, today I come to you to talk about domestic work. It's a topic that I have been working on in the last years. Um, it started when I was myself was a nanny in the Netherlands to pay for my studies, and uh, that's how I started working with the topic. And what actually was a very beautiful window of opportunity that gave me the privilege to work with uh, to to work with the one of the most uh, emancipatory movements of women uh, in the labor movement internationally, and it also gave me the opportunity to be actually a labor organizer. A job that I recommended to many of you is a fantastic job. It have. Uh, it have actually given the opportunity to travel all around the world and to be here with you today. So thank you very much for the invitation once more, Tom. Thanks for, to the faculty and to the students for your presence today. Well, I guess uh, I like to think that um, an image tells more than a thousand words. So I will start with, um, with a video. And this video is actually uh, just a very short video, almost three minutes. And this video tells a little bit of the story of how the domestic workers internationally, they started to organize to win labor rights. And when we are talking about uh, internationally, we are meaning about the International Labor Organization. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, the International Labor Organization is an agency of the United Nations. And it's the organization that is in charge of regulating all labor standards to which actually the United States is, uh, is a member. And the United States uh, is also on the call to ratify the Convention 189, which is the convention that this group of women, very valorous and courageous women, just won and make it happen. So I will leave you with the video. Thank you.
we haven't reached the end of the road yet. And like we said when we came here, we're not going back to our countries without a convention. My name is Esther Stevens and I'm a full-time domestic worker. It took years of organizing to get to this moment. I will call all of us the movement of the people. The movement of the people is a tremendous movement. That's where the real power resides. We know that capitalism is going to make use of the informal sector and therefore it's important for informal sector to organize to fight the onslaught of capital. join forces with the women of the International Domestic Workers Network who continue to challenge governments, employers, and their societies to provide basic labor protections for this marginalized group. Please help the International Domestic Workers Network ensure the international ratification of the 100th Convention of the International Labor Organization. I hope you like it. This is just uh, almost three minutes. It's a 20 minutes uh, video. And if you would like, uh, we can uh, later I can give you the reference. Um, but the International Domestic Workers Network Movement is actually the one organization with more than 17 organizations right now around the world and growing that bring together domestic workers unions, domestic workers organizations, and uh, supportive and NGOs together in order to further and to advocate for the rights of the labor rights and human rights of domestic workers all around the world. So this is actually one uh, for, for us uh, in the domestic workers movement have been uh, a, a necessary process to, to be organizing trade unions. Have been domestic workers have started organizing actually with NGOs, with women group, and with churches. By the way, churches have been have had a very crucial part in the process of organization of domestic workers because when nobody actually listened to the domestic workers, when nobody listened and and believed in them, the churches were the ones who actually gave many rooms for them to go and sit and have a meeting in the church place. The church was the place where they could have the fundraising activity, the fundraising event. So actually churches and religious groups have uh, had a very crucial role in the mobilization of domestic workers. Today I structure uh, my presentation. Um, we will, I would like to introduce you to who are the domestic workers, what is a domestic worker, to describe a little bit of how is the sector organized, 
um, to give you an impression about the, the law, the international law, what is happened, how it happened, and what are the different organizing efforts. And lately, because I am a union organizer, I will let you know how can you contribute as well, what you can do. So let's start. Okay. Uh, as I say, I am Rebecca Pavon. I am a Caribbean woman, and I come from the. I live in the Netherlands. But uh, for all those women who are here, especially the young ones, all of you, I can tell you, go on, go for it, go for grad school, go for it. You can do it. You can be. You can be in all these organizations. You can do, do all these steps. But you have to apply yourself and, and work hard, play hard, and enjoy. Enjoy. So. To all of you students and young women in this room today, I would like to tell you that if a, a young woman from Puerto Rico could do it, you can also do it. So I would love to encourage you to go for it. Um, I am a union organizer. I am part of the steering committee of the IDWN, and I am also part of the Domestic Workers Research Network. For all of those who are interested in researching this topic, there is a whole group of scholars out there who have been since the 80s and the 90s working on this, to in, on this topic. Um, Domestic workers in numbers. Well, in terms of numbers, it is uh, the ILO says there is a, uh, there are around 53 million to 100 million of workers in this sector, and it's actually a, it's a, a sector that keeps growing. This is all around the world, no? But actually, women are overrepresented in this sector. Actually, 83% of the workforce, of the labor force, the workforce of, in this sector are women. So. Definitely, there is, a, this is a, there is a gender issue when we talk about domestic workers, and we need to talk about the discussions about the public, the discussions about the private household, and actually, what is the role of we women? We women have been always expected to do the chores of the house, and then when we want to go out and participate in the labor market, we hire other women. So there is a huge gender dimension on this, on this topic of domestic work. But well, things are changing, and in 2011, in June 16, 2011, the ILO, the International Labor Organization, approved the Convention 189. When we talk about a convention, a convention is not a conference or a convention is not a gathering. A convention is an international standard. And this international standard, for those countries who are members of the, Uni of the United Nations, they must ratify it. Once they ratify it, they have to change national law. And that means the possibility for many domestic workers to have the right to organize, to have the right to mobilize, to have labor rights, to have access to social security. We which in many countries is not possible, like in the case of the United States. For instance, 19, 1935, domestic workers, the National Labor Relations Act was approved, and it uh, excluded domestic workers. It excluded domestic workers actually thanks to the lobby of the southern states, states which uh, they could not consider the idea of having uh, a mate that previously was a slave and have to treat this person as a worker. So nowadays, still in the national uh, labor law in, in the United States, you still have this reminiscence of, um, of exclusion to which we still have to work for it and eliminate it. Well, domestic workers actually is uh, some characteristics of the sector to let you know more or less. The sector is actually growing, is growing very, very fast. And this has to do with, uh, in the case of Europe, for, for instance, there is a demand that of, for domestic workers uh, due to an aging population. There is an expectation in Europe that there are 34.7 million in, 2000, in 2030. There will be 
34.7 million of elders. When we are talking of elders here, we are talking of plus 80-years old people. So Europe is uh, the, it's called the old, con the old continent, and, uh, and they have a great need of care. And therefore, uh, many domestic workers are also demanded, are also, are also expected to work there. It's also a sector dominated by women. And it's interesting because we say, well, it's not only a sector dominated by women workers, but it's also a sector dominated by employers that are also women. And um, so it's, it's a very uh, peculiar um, case because women have been always expected to do uh, household chores, to do, uh, to do housework and to do cleaning and caring jobs. So sometimes for many, for generations, it was uh, understood as a biological predisposition of women to do uh, housework. However, um, due to that informality of, on the view of housework, actually, many employers tend to treat their domestic workers exactly with the same informality because they never were uh, respected as, as themselves for their contribution. You know, but I always like to say that we are in the business of reproducing life. If you want to understand domestic work, you have to think domestic work is the business of the reproduction of life. Um, it's a sector that is dominated by workers and, workers and employers that are women. Um, it's also a, 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 a sector that have fall very much into the informal economy. Yesterday, while I was talking to Professor Reiner uh, class, one student told me, what do you think, Rebecca, what, that will, will happen if the sector was actually dominated by men? Will we have this informality? I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> Well, actually, many countries uh, do not consider uh, domestic work as real work. And this has been one of the biggest reasons, actually, for the sector to be falling into informality. Because since they are not considered fully workers, or countries just simply don't, don't count them, they, 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 are not in, they don't show in any statistics. But however, uh, the study says, that the, the research says, that they exist and the, the demand keeps growing. So domestic workers are certainly there, but they are uh, at the moment invisible within the visible. Everybody knows that about it, but nobody talks about it. Well, but also, um, as we know, um, it implies uh, one of the biggest characteristics of domestic work is that it implies um, a huge combination of gender discussions, of class issue, of ethnic issues, and, and social issues as well. So. Um, and these definitely, um, all these issues and all these combinations are very much, um, they are all determined and impacted also for power relations. Uh, domestic workers are working into, uh, into the isolation of the house. So pretty much uh, in the absence of a legal framework, domestic workers depend on the goodwill of the employers. But well, well. So I hope that by now you are not into a sad story because I don't want to tell you a sad story. But however, these, these characteristics of the sector have actually contributed to, uh, to, to, uh, work, to working conditions of domestic workers that are very, very precarious as well. Um, one of the, of the situations that we find with the domestic workers is that they are very much isolated. They are working very long hours and they have very heavy lo workloads. Um, in cases of countries um, where they don't have no, almost no regulation, you have domestic workers um, that are 
sleeping with the children, you have domestic workers that are sleeping in the kitchen, you have domestic workers who are working uh, long hours, there is like plus 15 hours per day, etc. Um, also a lack of privacy. Actually, when I was part of the negotiations in the ILO of the conventions, one of the points of negotiations was actually the right to pray, the right to uh, practice your religion, and he said you have, for instance, countries like Indonesia, which is the biggest Muslim country, and, and particularly in Asia, which domestic workers going to Hong Kong and not being able to practice their religion there, not being respected their times for praying, that not being considered part of their contracts at all. Um, another issue that we have is, uh, the, of course, the low paid and the lack of work benefits. For instance, uh, in the case of the, of the Netherlands, domestic workers are not considered full, uh, full workers because they, will not, uh, they don't have the right to collect social security, for instance. They are, uh, and that's one of the difficulties that domestic workers have, and it's one of the paradigms that we are trying to break. One of the ideas that we are trying to break is that at the end of the day, domestic work is real work. Domestic work is not the work aside pocket money for some women who have a a husband who is the main breadwinner. Domestic work is not just a hobby that some young girl have to do nanny work. No, domestic work is actually the work that brings, uh, take your schools to university, who pay for the college. Domestic work is what brings, uh, who actually pay the health insurance of your family, who pays the rent of your family, or like what we say in the Netherlands, that brings the bacon to the table. So domestic work is real work, and this is a very, very important paradigm. That, that it's a very, very, very important uh, point that we want to make here, that what they are doing is not, domestic workers are not receiving any favors. Domestic workers are not the auntie. Domestic workers are not the best sister of the kids. No, domestic workers are actual workers. Actually, when we, domestic workers are not considered workers, um, we find solution problems like this one. This is something that I want to bring to your attention. This is a concept that brought uh, a researcher called uh, Ondagneo Sotelo, and she talks about the global care chains. And in, look, what is happening is that there is a demand for domestic workers. Women need support. Women in, in the industrialized countries, in Europe, women in the United States, they are asked and they are expected to participate in the labor market. We all want women to work, of course. We want equality. And we want, we say, look, women must participate in the labor market, but women do not receive any support actually to be able to participate in the labor market. So there is a, actually, they cannot compete with men. If you are expected to go to the labor market, but you are expected also to fulfill the household chores, you are expected to fulfill the, the demands of the house, how can you actually be able to compete uh, with inequality with men. So women need, uh, there is a huge demand for domestic workers, and you see a huge migration from the south, of women from the south going to the north, but at the same time, what happened with the kids of these women? They go on and they also leave their kids with uh, extended family, or they also leave uh, their kids with actually low, low paid domestic workers in their own uh, country. And when they, when they come to, the, the, to countries like the Netherlands, for instance, you have these global, global care families, global care chains, in which they are acting like, um, they're, they're acting like uh, as part of the family with family responsibilities. Um, you have, uh, and they, they are 
taking care of a family while somebody else is taking care of their kids as well. And what is happening is that in countries like Europe, there is a huge demand for domestic workers, but at the same time, the, the government do not want to recognize that, and therefore they create restrictive migration policies, migration policies that do not allow these people to go back to their countries, migration policies that don't give, for instance, a work permit for a domestic worker. And actually what we are talking about is nothing crazy. When we think about work permits for domestic workers, countries like the UK, they have it. London already have a, a, a visa for domestic workers. So what we are saying is, what we are saying, if domestic workers are needed, they should be recognized. They should not be that pink elephant in the room that nobody talks about it, but everybody knows. And actually, um, I do believe that this is not only for the workers, but this is this necessary discussion is also good for the employers. We women, we deserve better. The households deserve better. And our kids also deserve better. So what we are saying is, if they are needed, they should be recognized. There should be uh, work permits for domestic workers. There should be labor, relation, labor legislation for domestic workers. And, um, and we should break down with this global care change because this is not healthy. This is not healthy. So now I presented to you the problem. That's the problem. That's the sad story. But I have to tell you, no, the domestic workers are not waiting for somebody to save them. The domestic workers are taking their role and they are doing what is necessary for them to, to solve this situation. So this photo that you see here is actually an historical photo. All of them that you see there, all of these women, all of them, they are all leaders, they are all trade unionists, and all of them have thousands of people following them. These are women from South Africa, these are, are women from Kenya, these are women from the Netherlands, these are women from, from uh, Latin America as well. They are, they are organizing all around the world, domestic workers are organizing in trade unions, in organizations, and in federations, which by the way, I am very glad to say last year uh, was Organ was created the first federation of trade unions organizations for domestic workers in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has the first federation ever. It's called the FADWU, Federation of Asian Domestic Workers Union. So actually, domestic workers have been taking a step forward, a step forward, a step forward. I have to say, this is not because the union actually one day saw the light and they say, okay, we need to organize this for this group of workers. No, no. Actually, trade unions have, are, are very old organizations, which can be also very conservative, but they are there for us to use them and for us to change it. And that's what domestic workers have been doing. Domestic workers went on and said to the unions, we are workers, so we have to be here, make a place in the, decision, uh, in the table where decisions are made, we want to sit there. And one of the spaces where they did it was the ILO. Actually, the ILO only, only uh, can you can only talk in the ILO if you are part of a trade union and if you are part of a global union. If you are not part of a global union, you cannot sit and, and talk there. NGOs cannot say anything at the ILO. So actually, domestic workers come, uh, work through, uh, form their unions, and they push the global unions, in, in this case, the International Union of Food represent, uh, Representant and the International Trade Union Confederation. And through them, domestic workers won access to the ILO, and domestic workers managed to to promote and to push for that machine to actually move and create an international standard. So 
What we are seeing here is a moment of victory, but that moment of victory actually have a lot, a lot of people that are there pushing, 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 and making it happen. So when we want to see something happening, we have to do it. Like my father said, if it doesn't exist, create it. And I do believe that if it doesn't exist an instrument for domestic workers, and it doesn't exist rights for domestic workers, we should create them, we should fight for them. So what actually do this convention? What is, it, what is it, this convention, what it creates? Actually, for the first time now, domestic workers are recognized as full workers, so they have the same rights as other workers. And it regulates this convention for uh, working hours, it regulates uh, for, red day, for rest days, it regulates for in-kind payment. When we talk about in-kind payment, this is a very crucial point because it was a big, big debate. Domestic workers are perceived that if you live in, my, in the house of the employer, um, then uh, it's common practice in the industry all around the world to uh, cut your salary by half. I only pay you half because the rest I am paying you, you pay me in rent and for what you eat. And, and actually, but actually, it's, uh, we always argue that to whom it benefits that a worker is there in the house, to whom it benefits that a worker is 24-7 on call. And, Based on that discussion, we defined what is that, and we min managed to minimize what was the payment in kind. Now, uh, I think it's not only can only 30% of the salary can be subtracted, not half of it, not not almost all the whole salary can be paid in food and in housing. Um, also, a good uh, a good uh, part of the convention is that it defines clearly uh, what are the boundaries and what are the terms and conditions of employment. And this has to do with the fact that you have countries, like in the Asian countries, you have agencies that are very exploitative of these workers. They, these agencies can, in, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in Hong Kong, can subtract great, great amounts of money out of the workers for training and later on, uh, and later on for the moving of the worker. So much, a lot of workers ended up being indebted before even started to work. Um, and that is regulated. The regulation of the agencies is done also in the convention. And uh, more than anything, I will say uh, what the best part of the convention is that it created a sense of respect for fundamental principles at, at work, like the right to organize, for instance. Now, domestic workers with this convention have won that right. I'll, and this is important for us young people, you know, like we tend to think that the right to organize, the right to, uh, to that right that the rights that we have as workers are something given, like some sort of form, some institution created. But I have to say, uh, people, no, that nothing, nothing of those rights that of any right that we have are given. Any right that, that we have have been fought, and we should appreciate them because they can always be taken uh, be taken away from us. So it's very important that the right to organize and the right to mobilize for domestic workers have been a huge struggle. And I will tell you more a little bit about what is happening around the world about organizing. If you want to know a little bit more about organizing, if you want to know a little bit more about uh, the different international efforts, I recommend you to visit the International Domestic Workers Network. I already let you know a little bit about what is the International uh, uh, Domestic Workers Network. And hopefully next year in uh, Paraguay will be the founding congress 
And if that happens, domestic workers will be the newest sector in labor history um, in, the, in the global union. So this will, be, uh, this will mean uh, that we will actually have an official seat in the international labor structures. Um, also, another uh, a very beautiful campaign is the 12 by 12 campaigns. The International Trade Union Confederation is, uh, launched this campaign last year. And the idea of the 12 by 12 campaign is that by the end of 2012, we wanted to have 12 countries to ratify the convention. That's quite difficult, I have to say. But now we have five. Five countries have ratified until now, which means that the law can be enforced and which means, uh, which is a, a, great, a, a great step forward actually. Many times these laws are created, but they are not enforced. They are not, uh, nobody pushed for their ratification. And if there's, they, they are not ratified, they are just dead. But actually what we say is, these are, I, I used to believe, you know, I, when I was uh, younger, I was like, oh, creating these lots takes so much time and it's, so, uh, it's not useful. But actually now uh, in my work, I have been able to use this. Actually, for me, it's not the end, but it's the mean. The International Convention 189 is a means for mobilization. It's a means to organize. So it's not the goal, it's the instrument. And uh, hopefully... The, inter the 12 by 12 campaign will continue next year, and if we if we can get another another countries to ratify it, that will be a great step forward. So, um, but what about here? What about we are talking about domestic workers in Kenya, domestic workers in the Netherlands? But what about here? What is happening in the U.S.? Well, all of these actually are logos, and I recommend you to take note of them and to go out there and look for them. There is the, there's something, an organization called the International, sorry, the National Domestic Workers Alliance. This is an organization composed of 33 organizations in the U.S. And this organization is their organization that have been pushing in the U.S. for, for some legislative change. One of, they have a victory, a great victory, and that victory is uh, in the New York City, was approved uh, last year, the first ever Domestic Workers Bill of Rights. And that Bill of Rights actually regulates for labor conditions, it regulates for working time, it regulates for salary, so it's very, very important, this Bill of Rights. And this Bill of Rights is actually a similar one, is promoted in the state of California as well. They were almost this close to pass it, but Governor Brown vetoed uh, it. So that is very sad, but the domestic workers actually say, we don't stop with this, we are not going to stop. But they say to the governor Brown, this is not done. And they actually started a campaign to send uh, small sponges, clean sponges, to governor note saying, this is not done. So they are going to continue. It took six, it took more than six years for the group of New York to actually won their Bill of Rights. So we believe that its persistency is the clue, persistency. And this is some, some of, these are some of the campaigns here. This one, uh, this one in here is Be The Help. They are doing it in collaboration with the producers of the movie The Help. And they are using this, uh, this movie actually to promote a discussion of domestic workers' rights in, in the US and to tell to everybody, be the help. So I will let you know how can you be the help at the end of the, of the presentation. But also, I have news for you. Here in Massachusetts, here in Massachusetts, there is a coalition for domestic workers' rights this coalition uh, is going to launch, this is, this is classified information I am giving you right now. 
they, in, in the state of Massachusetts, they plan to launch a campaign for a Bill of Rights in that it will be uh, by January 2013 is when they are going to present it, uh, their proposal, their legis legislative proposal. And, um, and they are uh, together, working this together with the National Domestic Workers Alliance. This is their website, massdomesticworkers.org. And, uh, and this is an, uh, there are a lot of domestic workers here. Actually, I have come across to a lot of Brazilian uh, organizations that are here working for domestic workers' rights. And um, so I recommend to all of you support this initiative. This, you, when you see domestic workers out there in the streets, when you see them, when you see a sticker of "Be the Help" somewhere in the city, when you see domestic workers marching in the street, go and support them because these women, they are saying they, what they are saying to all of you: the work that I do is worth it. The work that I do should be respected. So please go on out there and support the Massachusetts domestic workers. Probably next year, in 2013, we will have uh, a Bill of Rights in, in Massachusetts. Do you think it's possible? Yeah? Raise your hand. Do you think it's possible? Si se puede, people. Si se puede. Right? <laughs> si se puede. I will tell you something about it. When we say si se puede, that's in Spanish for just we can. And that was not invented by Obama, by the way. That was invented, but it was created by Cesar Chavez, which was, the, which was a, great, uh, a great leader of the farm workers here in the United States. And, uh, and, they, and they, always, they, also, they were also excluded from the National Labor Relations Act. And in 1996, Cesar Chavez walked with a lot of people, and they, they always say, si se puede. Si se puede. So that's what we always say, that I bring the message to all of you here. It is possible to do it in Massachusetts. We just did it internationally, so it is possible to do it in Massachusetts. So when you see these people walking out in the street, walk together with them. Um, different forms that you can take action look um, very, very easy. Just start inform your, informing yourself. I am sharing with you a story today that you can share with other people as well. You can share with your colleagues, you can share with your friends. Sometimes with a simple like in Facebook, sometimes with a simple Twitter back, you, you help to put there this information. But I will say, I will say actually, just don't tweet and don't, just, just don't like, but also take action. Take action, in the, take action talking with your family. Just take that, that group, start talking with your family, start talking with your friends. Many, some of you have domestic workers, Joseph. Start talking with her. Start talking and, and, and introduce her to other initiatives of workers like her. And that, that way you can create, you will be the best advocates we can find here in Massachusetts. But uh, more than anything, also uh, demand the ratification for the Convention 189. I will say for maybe uh, you think, oh, our government is, will never ratify this. Actually, one of the most advo advocating uh, governments representative in the convention, I am proud to say, was the United States. The United States representative at that time was very, was a, a very strong advocate for domestic workers, right? And we hope, actually, that when we, with these movements of domestic workers here in Massachusetts, in, in California, and in New York, actually, next year we can see the United States saying, yes, let's ratify, let's create, uh, let's create uh, legislation for domestic workers. Let's finally recognize this, uh, this group of workers. So thank you very much. Like we say in the Netherlands, we say schoon genoeg. Schoon genoeg have two meanings, and it means cleaning off, 
but also means beautiful enough. And it's a way that we express for us the pride that we take in the work that we do and, uh, and the pleasure that we take on and how proud we are of doing it and, and, and doing it actually for all of you. So thank you very much. Support domestic workers. And I hope you have uh, many questions. I am ready here to talk with you. Thank you for the invitation. Can you tell us some contacts that you have? I mean, I've met domestic workers in Hong Kong in certain situations, but when you have, in terms of, uh, I know it's more anecdotal or about people's lives, but uh, what's been your experience of kind of direct contact and working with people? There's a range of responses, obviously. Well, you know, well, at multiple levels. Look, um, I I have the the privilege I, I to to be part of the negotiation process in the ILO and to see all these women's like uh, participating, all these women bringing their stories forwards. And uh, but actually, one anecdote that I have uh, this was actually of, of one of, of the members of the union. They say she was an. 53 years old grandma, she's called Corinne de los Reyes. And Corinne, um, she's a, a Filipino leader. She uh, have like 60 followers <laughs> with her. And she say like, look, Rebecca, I have like 14 employers and I am very busy, but um, I feel that I have to do this. This is not a choice for me. If I don't do this, um, if I don't do this, later on will be my daughter, will be all my cousins, will be, and, and, and you know, it's great if they can do it. It's great, it doesn't have anything to do with the, with the work, but I, the, the, actually the moral part of it is that they are not respected, that they are not recognized. So I don't want them to not be respected and not be recognized like the way I have feel here about all these years. So that's why I go out to the street and that's why I take action. So they say like, well, you know, I have to do it because the Dutch people are not going to do it for me. So I, I, have a, I feel a lot of respect for the domestic workers who, who's, who are not, you know, crying in a corner. They are not saying, they are not complaining, but they go on and say, hey, this is my issue. Let's put our story out there, we are the protagonists. So this is one of uh, the stories of respect that I have found. A follow-up, and you basically worked with 14 employers, and maybe at one time or something. Part of it, I was thinking about how you organize domestic workers who might work for one family, and so you can talk about hours and benefits. I was thinking in the United States, uh, Brazilians who are often doing it, are probably uh, cleaning houses at four or five houses in a day, or it's part-time work where they're all over the place. How do you, what do you do for those people? Because uh, you know, it might be a couple hours a week or every other week. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to say, oh, you get sick pay and benefits and you get vacation time to here. Uh, yeah. We've gone to such a part-time work economy here in the US with so many people at the lower end. Well, it's, it's very, um, well, let's, let's get other questions. Yeah, are, are, are there contracts involved then that, that Enforceable? Is that part of it? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's regular labor organizing which and our long-term goals is to get the ratification in the Netherlands. But our short-term uh, goals has to do with uh, 
with getting uh, immediate pay, for instance. We got, uh, we got one of our members that he started losing uh, employed. She started losing employers because she started demanding vacation time. And uh, in the union, we, uh, we provide, provide with contracts, with contract forms that domestic workers can take because there is a lot of informality in the sector. However, there are forms to formalize the sector at the individual level, you know, while we change the, in the major, uh, the law later collectively, but um, many of these uh, of the employers goes at, that she was going with the contract and saying, hey, I would like that we uh, organize uh, uh, with my hours and at the end of the year bonus so that you can actually contribute to my social security. And uh, they started wondering, that, but come on, how am I going to pay you also vacation time? See, you don't pay taxes. So, well, you know, I don't pay taxes. That is uh, true. But I also, but you don't pay anything for my social security. You don't pay anything for my transport. You don't pay, uh, you don't, I don't, I want to also have a pension. Like, I'm just saying, but if you, if you're not uh, if if you're not paying taxes, like like how 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 I sh why should I pay you um, vacation time? What I should pay you six days? And she just said like, well, you know, you when you go to the office and you get sick, and when you cannot go to the office and you get sick, you're expected to be paid uh, for your sick day, right? When you uh, you're expected to receive vacations in your own job. So I am a worker like you. I'm just asking you for the same labor rights that. Uh, that you receive. So this is uh, have been one of the of the actually easiest way to humanize um, the the work to and to and to make consciousness create consciousness among the employers. It's like the domestic workers saying, "I just want exactly what you want. If you are paid six days, I also want to be paid six days." So among uh, actually many of the domestic workers at the beginning they started losing employers, but later on when the issue of the domestic workers started to get more media attention and when the domestic workers, they, they saw that they were not playing, they were actually organizing and they were taking action, uh, many employers started giving at the end of the GR bonus, started giving also vacation time. So that have improved. But actually what have improved more to the action is that domestic workers in 2010 in the Netherlands were for the first time included in a collective agreement ever, ever. So this has been a good step forward, like domestic workers were not recognized as full, fully as workers, so actually no trade union were organizing them. When they started organizing, now they are part, the same collective agreement of the cleaning industry is also covering for domestic workers. So that has been a good step forward. It's not the end of the struggle, it's actually one of the means, one more step forward. So when you organize and when you demand your rights, actually there is change. You may lose one or two employers, but in the long term you educate them as well. Who signs the contract for the for the employer side? I mean, there's multiple each, in, each individual employer, they sign contracts. However, what we are looking forward, actually, in our in the future, is to create agencies of domestic workers. Because actually, the employer we don't see it as our enemy. The, the individual employer is actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually an ally. We see it as an ally. It's difficult at the moment. What we are saying is the lack of a structure, the lack of law, the lack of regulation is putting that in the shoulders of the employer, that responsibility. And that's not fair. 
that it's not fair neither for middle class women professors, like people like you, people like me, to have that in their shoulders. What we are saying is, well, right now you have to sign the contract because you are the immediate employer, but we would like to organize actually to create regulation that take that out of your shoulder and put it in agencies so we can be uh, hired through agencies. Well, when we, do, when we talk about not paying taxes, it's because of the informality. What we are trying to formalize the sector. But the domestic workers in the Netherlands have always said, actually, we want to pay taxes. We do not, we do not want to be in this situation of not paying. We want to pay taxes because we want labor law. We want to have labor rights. Well, what in the Netherlands, what has been won, actually, is that in the cleaning industry, you have a sector that is providing, uh, that is providing uh, private services at home. And that sector, to the collective agreement, has been regulated. No? So now that there is a law between the parts. However, the problem is that since it is so inf the informal part is so big, that sector cannot actually compete. So what we are trying to do is actually to fully uh, change the law, to fully recognize this worker, to create also and to promote the creation of working permits for domestic workers so those who are in the informal economy can regulate themselves through the work and, uh, and, uh, and we can actually formalize better the sector. So when we, when we talk about uh, collective agreements, it only applies to the formal uh, sector at the moment. We are trying to change the law to fully cover all the workers that are involved in the sector. I, I do not think that giving minimum, minimum wage to domestic workers will move a lot of women from the corporate world to, back, to go to clean the toilets and change diapers. However, it will certainly will create much more, um, um, a, a much more decent work situation. And uh, I do think that uh, what the, the, the current situation, what we are seeing is a, a huge precarity uh, in the sector that have been leading to a lot of abuses. And when you actually create the conditions to make a, a work uh, that is decently paid, that are having good working, to, good working conditions, that is a good incentive for people to actually work in a formal way and to have formal agreements. And, and actually could be, could be, why not? Could be also an incentive for people to go into that sector and people who may be unemployed. Um, and I will, it can only do better. I will say, can only do better for workers and for employers in this side. I do not think that a lot of corporate women will go into domestic work, but however, I do think that a lot of people that are working into the shades of informality will finally have access to decent working conditions. Questions, uh, I guess first one would be, what is the main difficulty you have, you have in like getting women to join you? Well, it's the main difficulty that I have to get, you know, the, to move workers that are really, really tired into action is very difficult. However, um, I, and I do think that the fact that, uh, of isolation is very difficult as well to uh, isolated workers. So I do think that uh, the, the same issues that other workers, that other uh, sectors have to mobilize workers, we also find them in the sector. But I do think that the biggest issue that we have is isolation, to get to actually get in contact with them. So I know you focus just primarily on women. A lot of your presentation was mainly on women, but have you seen uh, reproduction in children doing the same type of work? Children. When you look at the case of in uh, African countries, there's a lot of child labor. 
a lot of child labor on domestic workers. Um, in, uh, in, that's the trend in, uh, in Africa. In Europe, you see a much, much more men are starting to do also domestic work. They do it in partnership with their women. The women find the job, the men, they go on and clean the house together. But uh, child labor was also par partly regulated in the international labor, uh, in the Convention 189 by the ILO. And yes, it exists, it exists in, uh, in uh, more, mainly in African countries. I would like to have to show you, if there are no more questions later on, I would love you, like to show you something later that comes from, my, uh, from our campaign. So you can see actually some faces of our campaign. Uh, so I guess another question I'll ask is, have you seen any inequalities in salary via ethnicity? Yeah, 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 yeah. In, uh, in, there is a researcher called Sarah Van Valsum. She's based in the University Fry Universiteit. And Sarah follow a group, have been following groups of Filipinos and have been following groups of Latin Americans and Ghanaians in the, in the Netherlands. And often you have, you find some ethnicities that are perceived as much more oriented to care work. Like for instance, Filipinas are perceived of more caring, are perceived as more, uh, uh, household oriented and as passive as well. Latinas are perceived as more mothering, um, also perceived as passive uh, and also more clean. But uh, Ghanaians are perceived as good to clean but not for caring. And, and in many cases are not, are persist, are more watch, are not, uh, are most, uh, the employers are more vigilant, vigilant of these workers. So, so they are also paid less. You get uh, groups of uh, Filipinos are paid between 12 and 15 euros. The Ghanaians you often are paid between seven and 10 euros. Yeah, and that has to do exclusively on race. Now going with, uh, another question going with that, uh, do the roles vary via gender? Do the roles? Do the type of, types of jobs vary via gender? Like, what, uh, I don't know. Of course, women, uh, uh, women are more into care, care work, and the few men that I have known, they're more into cleaning jobs, for instance. Yeah. We reproduce these stereotypes. And also, for instance, uh, a lot of opera agencies reproduce these types, these stereotypes. For instance, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of I don't know if you are familiar with the concept of the opera's. But the au pairs are under 25, usually women who come, young women who come to a country to learn a language and receive between 300 and 500 pocket money per month, and they work bet uh, 30 hours per week, and they are doing uh, light uh, chore house, uh, chores in the household. So. Um, you get a lot of au pair agencies that they only specialize in bringing Peruvians. They only bring Peruvians, or they only bring Filipinas, or they only bring Indonesians. And when you read in their websites, uh, they reproduce all of these uh, uh, stereotypes and, the ra uh, and this racism of perceiving certain uh, ethnicities more oriented to care than, than perhaps others that are more oriented to construction work or to other type of sectors. But uh, mo mostly these uh, stereotypes are reproduced by uh, the, the agencies that bring these workers and, uh, and also us and society. Yeah, sadly enough. That's why we need more women of color in the, in, in the university. Well, that's why we need more women in positions of power. So I encourage you all girls to go out there and conquer it, definitely. Thank you very much.